Blog Talk Radio. January 6, 2013 edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard. It is the podcast in which we discuss current events and politics from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy, Objectivism. I'm your host, Amy Peikoff, and I am glad to report that we are already off to a much better start in 2013, uh, the first show in 2013, uh, versus the way that we ended 2012. The chat room is up and working. I got on the chat room extra early today just to make sure that happened. Also, we do have sitting here from the beginning of the show, not uh, not in and out like last week, cartoonist Bosch Faustin to talk about the uh, topics of today. So what what are the topics for today? Let me tell you. Oh yeah, we should talk about that. Just just quick. Yeah, we'll talk we'll talk about that. Yeah, let let's let Bosch share his news about another competing talk show host, somebody <laughs> who right. just might have a bigger audience than I do. Uh, Michael Savage, the uh, talk show host, the popular talk show host of the show, The Savage Nation, uh, mentioned me in a cartoon of mine, uh, Dirty Barry, this week on his show, and that was it was great. It was it's an incredibly popular show, and uh, he he was looking for political cartoonists and hadn't been able to listen to him in a while. He he's become unlistenable in a lot of ways. Except when it comes to the war, is probably no one's better than than him when it comes to talking about the war. And uh, so he he was looking for cartoonists, and I sent him some art, and uh, so now he might he might uh, put some of uh, the cartoons on his website, and we'll see. You know, we'll go from there. But it was it was a great mention, and that, that's it. I just want to mention it. Thanks. Yeah, and if you want to hear the clip. Bosch actually posted the audio clip at his blog. That's Faustin.blogspot.com, and Faustin is spelled F-A-W-S-T-I-N. And Savage actually pronounced the name yeah, correctly as well, perfectly. which was really cool. Right. Okay, so topics for today. First, we're going to talk about the lie that Obama and the Democrats and the media and everybody else are going to tell over and over and over again and have told in the past in order to pressure the GOP to cave on the debt ceiling negotiations. We heard it told this morning, brazenly, on Fox News Sunday. So we figured we might as well just prep everybody for that. Then we've got a few stories that just basically constitute more evidence of leftist nihilism, both Obama's and also, as we see, Putin. Then we are going to finish off with some good news on the idea of actually trying to have a little bit of a different take in the new year and try to finish off each show with a bit of good news. I have three different news items that I want to talk about. A couple of them are just kind of cultural bits. So I hope that everybody got off started well. I was glad to talk about some of the New Year's resolution topics last week and I learned something new from Robert in New York City, who's in the chat room right now. He talked at the very end, at the very end when a lot of people who were listening to the live show got, got cut off, of something called the Pomodoro Technique. And I went ahead and read up on that Pomodoro, like tomato in Italian, you know, you order pasta Pomodoro. And uh, apparently the technique consists in 
making yourself, it, it sounds easy, but you, you're amazed at how difficult it can be, making yourself sit down and work uninterrupted for 25 minutes on a particular task. And then if you succeed, you get to mark off that you worked for a Pomodoro. Pomodoro is a unit of 25 minutes. Uh, some of the method might be too onerous in terms of record keeping and everything else and you might say well can I work for 15 minutes or maybe I want to work for 45 minutes and why is 25 I'm sure there's a lot more research to know about why this is a good method but I I found that was interesting that was something new Uh, the other thing that I learned from Robert which uh, seems like a really good thing to do as well and I did it this year you go over all of your accomplishments for 2012 you write them all down on the list and then you talk about what your goals are for 2013. And I think Robert talked about having equal numbers. So you would have maybe the 10 things that you accomplished, the top 10 of 2012, and then you'd have 10 goals for 2013. For me, I felt that was maybe too many goals for 2013. I was choosing to look at, say, five and that's on the idea that even though you have five goals, there's probably going to be five other worthwhile things that you'll accomplish, right. but you want to focus on the top one. So I kind of I modified what, what Robert did, but I thought that was good. I hope people enjoyed the Alex Epstein Resolution Revolution, which which I did, and then I'm still looking forward. There's a GTD seminar, which unfortunately is not free. I'm so sorry I steered you guys wrong on that. Uh, GTD seminar, some of the webinars are free, some of them are free only for what they call GTD Connect members, and this one is, is one of those. But I think it's going to be this coming Friday, and that should be interesting. Uh, Tara Smith's 99-cent lecture on purpose is also excellent. I hope people enjoyed that. And then let me tell you about one other thing that I just learned about this week. Why? Because Don Watkins announced it only this week. If you are like me and any of your New Year's resolutions include some sort of a writing goal, then you might enjoy this Mastering the Art of Writing. It's a teleseminar that Don Watkins is going to hold. It's going to be held on three Saturdays in a row, starting February 2nd, so February 2nd, 9th, and 16th, from 1 to 2 p.m. Pacific time. And in it, he promises to tell you the things that he's learned about developing the skill of writing. He is, not surprisingly, of the idea that writing is a skill that can be learned, that it's not just you have the talent or you don't. And he says in in this three-session teleseminar, he says, I'm going to share with you some of the most important lessons I've learned from my own writing apprenticeship. And he says, I want you to walk away a better, faster writer. And he's got various bullet points that he says he's going to cover. Um, one of them that's intriguing to me is he says, why outlines are so often a waste of time and how you can use them to actually save yourself time. So I'd be interested to hear what he has to say about that. So you might check it out. Go on Facebook and look up Don Watkins, W-A-T-K-I-N-S, and he has a link to the Mastering the Art of Writing seminar. I might try to get this into the link into the chat room uh, a little bit into the show if I can manage that as well with my technical (laughs) expertise here. So let's go ahead and get started. You know, we just watched the GOP cave on the fiscal cliff deal, and there's a couple stories that are depressing that I wanted to maybe talk about with respect to that, but let's not focus too much on that. But let me just alert you to a couple of depressing things about the deal. Everybody knows that the deal basically raised taxes on people who make, what is it, 400000 a year or more because they're so rich, right? 
450, and that there were no spending cuts to speak of, really, of any significance yeah. at all. You know, and, and in fact, what they did is they took the sequestration cuts, the cuts that would have automatically phased in, and they've put them off for two I months. I don't hear anything. People are having trouble with the, uh, yeah, with the sound. Yeah. So this is great. Yeah. Uh, now we've got the chat room, and people are having trouble. Just try to reload the page, and that's what is everybody it, can do. Try to reload the page. I think other people are still able to hear us. So as long as most people are able to hear us, I think Debbie we're doing okay. Her, her sounds fine. Yeah, yeah. So now people got it. So um, in any event, you know that they put off cutting until later. So that's bad in and of itself. But let's just tell you a couple of things that are even more depressing. If you go to Breitbart.com, Breitbart News, a story posted on the 1st of January says that in that legislation is a little bonus for Barack Obama's friends in Hollywood. Namely, they went ahead and extended production tax incentives for the domestic entertainment industry. What it does, this is something that applies to all movies and significantly it applies to all television series because it applies to each TV episode. What is it that they get? they get to have a tax incentive that applies to productions costing less than $15 million to make or $20 million in low-income areas, which means, you know, basically they get to pay less, you know, taxes. This, of course, as so many conservatives love to point out, makes them hypocritical, right? Uh, Because they always say, well, you know, the government really should make me pay more taxes. I'm sure Sarah Jessica Parker is all over the place saying, yes, you know, tax the rich, tax me more. I'm fine. No problem. Everybody's got to pay their fair share. But nonetheless, what do they do? They move the new productions to these places where they can get the tax breaks. And that is just taking more money from you and me and putting it in the hands of Hollywood. And what does Hollywood do anyway when they have these series? Yeah, it's it's propaganda so that more of this can happen in the future. So that's always exciting. The other thing that I was going to tell you was about an article in the Wall Street Journal called The Stealth Tax Hike. And this was posted on January 4th. I thank Bosch for uh, sending this on to me. This is what happens. Although you think that it's only a 450,000 income threshold for the highest tax rate. This is an illusion because under this tax deal, Boehner not only compromised on the rate issue. Remember in the beginning he said, oh, all I want to do is increase revenues by closing loopholes. Right, right. That's what he said. He used the same language as Obama. So in fact, what the GOP gave away was not only a rate increase, for 450 and above, although Obama wants more, of course, next year, um, 450 and above. Also, the loopholes, the deductions, are going to be phased out for people above 250,000. So Obama is getting to raise taxes on people above 250,000 by means of phasing out deductions. So it says the Senate Finance Committee says, in effect, and I'm quoting from this Wall Street Journal, the stealth tax hike, uh, the Senate Finance Committee informs us that, in effect, the loss of the personal exemptions, currently 3800 per family member, can mean a 4.4 percentage point rise in the marginal tax rate for a married couple with two kids and incomes above 250000 A family with four kids 
in that income range faces a six percentage point marginal rate hike. And it says the restored limitations on itemized deductions can raise the tax rate by another one percentage point. Again, the people who are making two hundred fifty thousand a year, we've heard this several times by the more honest, you know, from the more honest people. Some people have small businesses in which they are taxed as individuals. Basically, they're going to be feeling this uh, because the the income passes right through to them as individuals, and so this is going to, for sure, hurt the economy. But does Obamacare? No, he doesn't. What's next? Next is the debt ceiling debate that's coming up. And we've already seen Obama. I saw a little clip of it this morning on Fox News Sunday. Obama going out there and saying that if the Republicans fight him on the debt ceiling, that what the Republicans are doing, and here's the big lie that I've been building up to, what the Republicans are doing is they are saying that we want to have the United States default on its fiscal obligations, including not paying interest on the debt. And he's trying to say, you know, all the bad things that are going to happen. He says the financial consequences are worse than the fiscal cliff, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's a lie. And what I love this morning, I loved uh, two people on Fox News Sunday who described exactly why it's a lie. Both Ted Cruz and then later Britt Hume right. pointed out the fact that senator even – yeah, yeah, the new senator, Ted Cruz, which is actually um, – um, oh, Debbie in the chat room. Sorry, I got interrupted here. Debbie in the chat room is saying that she disagrees with me because Obama does care that his plan is going to hurt the economy. I think he, think he wants it to. And that, and that could be true because if he creates another crisis, yeah. then he can come in and say, oh, we need another bailout. Right. We need another tarp, et cetera. Yeah. The Republicans have shown themselves to be immoral. So the one thing you have to ask themselves is if Obama is pleased, happy about something, then you do the opposite. You don't go along with them. Because right. right now Obama is absolutely pleased. And that should be a sign to them. But clearly they can't see that because they probably pleased it as well. Who knows? Right. right. Uh, now, Ted Cruz, as I was talking about on the, the Fox News Sunday, he is Tea Party oriented. Yep. And, and here is what he and Britt Hume pointed out. Even if our borrowing authority ceases because we've reached right. the debt ceiling, right. cannot borrow anymore, right. what does that mean? That means that we have to get by on the tax revenues. And Britt Hume pointed out the tax revenues come in monthly. It's not like the tax okay. revenues stop coming in. Tax revenues, I think Hume said, were $200 billion per Something. month. Something $200 billion per month. And in order to service the debt and not default on our so-called obligations, all we need is all we need, ha, ha, ha. Right. It's, it's disgusting that we're it talking is. in these it's terms, right? But all we need is $30 billion per right. month. Right. Which is six to seven percent of, yep. you know, this total. So if that's all you need, why are you talking about this? What Obama is saying is that he is going to choose to have United States risk defaulting right. on its debt if the GOP right. doesn't go his way. Exactly. But really, what it means, you know, if they they will have to have a an immediate initial no questions asked forty percent cut in spending if they reach the debt ceiling. That's all that happens. They don't have to default exactly. on the servicing of the debt that already exists. That would be a choice that the president gets to make. Right. And this happened the last debt ceiling debate, but just keep watching because this morning there was a representative, a Democratic representative 
Van something. I Van can't. Holland. Van Holland. Yeah. Something yeah. Van Holland. That sounds he, right. Yeah. He he was on. There was there was a guest host for the show, but it was actually John Roberts, I believe, was the guest yeah, host. Yeah. And he was he was a good guest host. Yeah. He was fun. Uh, you said he's a former CNN, yeah. but I I thought he pushed him on all he the right fun. issues. But uh, you know, he was saying, oh, you know, we've already cut. We already had 1.5 trillion in cuts. Lie, 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 lie. We need a comprehensive approach to the debt ceiling, which of course would have to include more revenues, right? Revenues in scare quotes. Why? Because that's just more theft. You know, Fox has a fair and balanced pound. They have one lion rat, and on the other side, they have a relatively honest guy. So that's that's their idea of fair and balance. I mean, it's just disgusting. The guy was lying his you-know-what off. Right, right. People, if you do want to call in and talk about any of the issues we have today, the number is 760-888-5817. Again, that's 760-888-5817. And we do have some good participation going in the chat room. It looks like people are having a little bit more luck with Firefox browsers than other browsers. So if you are having a hard time with a browser, you might try that. Zach in the chat room says, every member of the GOP should be sent private cures for public ills. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, yeah, Van Hollen is a really bad one, says oh, Deborah. Yeah, he he was so, so smarmy. Oh, smarmy is the, the word. He he was just really smug and full of himself, yeah. and he had all of the pat lines just revert, you know, rehearsed yeah. in his mind, and he just spit them out one after Pushed the other Obama after agenda. the other, lie after lie like after he, lie. Like he was an Obama puppet as well, though. So, you know, when you're out there and you hear people talk about, oh, the GOP, they want us to default on our debts, just throw those numbers out there. Yeah. $200 billion in tax revenues and Obama can't bring himself right. to pay it's off the national, that. you know, pay off the interest on the debt, yeah. service that interest at $30 billion first before he gives all the money to the next Solyndra yeah. or whatever other exactly project right. that's going to, algae or Absolutely. whatever, She's, right? There was algae yeah, in the, in the exactly. debt deal. Oh, my God. Uh, Chris Christie is wanting uh, more billions of dollars, well, he wants, tens of billions of dollars. He loves pork, yeah. and he loves government pork. Yeah. And that's what he was you know, c- complaining about. So, you know, they, they can't just bring themselves to uh, to be fiscally responsible. I just, the, the amount of lying and threatening of disaster yep. Yep. that happens. Yep. You know, they're, they're, you know, they, they create these, these crises, like uh, Ron Emanuel, remember that? Right. You know, that's that's never, their whole thing. Yeah, never never let a crisis Every go few away. months we need a crisis. You know, that's it. I I posted about this on Facebook and and a lot of times you get people who want to steal the thunder of your radio show and come in with the answer already. But uh Brian uh Brian Yoder actually gave a really good little comment there which is that the GOP doesn't have to negotiate. Right. If the GOP wants a balanced budget, Right. The GOP can get a balanced budget That's by true. just refusing to vote on any increase of the debt ceiling. The and this yeah. is this is the problem. I actually predict, unfortunately, GOP is going to cave some crap. Why? Because nobody, I mean, not nobody, okay, only a minority of the politicians in Washington, maybe them. someone like a Ted Cruz who we saw this morning, yeah. who, we, who we liked, uh, those people do want to seriously cut spending, and they actually can name programs right. that they're willing to cut. But other than that, any given program that is currently getting federal government, which means your and my money, right, any program that's getting money is the pet project of some politician right. who's there. Right. And so that politician's got buddies in the network, and they're buddies with Boehner. So GOP 
they're in the pockets of all kinds of people just like yeah. everybody else yeah. and they are just as resistant to drastic cuts and spending as anybody else otherwise it would have happened by yeah. now so so i i am i'm pessimistic i think Me, the gop is going to cave in i'm at that point also i expect nothing from them when you got paul ryan voting for this uh, monstrosity he says i well i came to congress to make tough decisions that's why he went to co- congress that was his goal, to make tough decisions, yeah, to sell out. That was very disheartening to hear that he had at the last minute yeah. changed his vote. So I think I've got Bosch on the idea that he's not going to be surprised no. the next time the GOP caves. I like Robert in the chat room. He says, GOP equals yeah. cave yeah. by definition. I mean, you know, people call you cynical if you if you think that they won't do anything. But it's not being cynical about myself or life. or It's about these scum in Washington. I mean, they are what they are. And uh, I just I don't expect anything from them anymore. Nothing, zero. Do you know what Stein no. had said about the tough decision? No, no. Could you write it up or, yeah, or go call ahead. up and? Yeah, go ahead and let us know, or you can call up and, and chat about it, Deborah. Mark Stein apparently had something to say about Ryan's. Oh yeah, he he says a lot of great things. The one thing about Stein is I think Stein is a little bit too apocalyptic, <laughs> more than he needs to be. I, I, I he must, but he must have a happy life because he's always laughing. I mean, he must have a happy life. I mean, well, but he and, is apocalyptic. But and Limbaugh's even more annoying that way. No, Limbaugh is. I mean, what, he has too much fun yeah, given what the news of the day. I is. I would call it. He's jolly, and it's you can't be jolly. I mean, Mark Mark Stein does get to the bottom line sometimes, and he gets very serious. He does, but he's a generally funny guy. But Rush is still jolly in these days. It's it's, it's really it's terrible radio. I mean, Mark Mark Levin right now is the guy I can listen to. He's very very serious, and he gets it. Right. Right. And, uh, yeah, Levin, Levin is good, and, and you said that Cruz went and thanked Levin for helping him you know get what? elected. Yeah. When, when yeah. does a politician go to a talk show host and thank him personally, say thank you so much for basically doing what you had to do to, to get me into power? Uh, because Boehner and all the other rats who won two years ago in the midterms won because of Tea Party. I don't think they've ever thanked them publicly. I don't think so. But Ted Cruz did, literally, and he, and he, and he cited the, the Tea Party as well. Excellent. Deborah says she's going to call in and, and let us know about Stein's comments. So Deborah is quite an asset to our little show Excellent. here, which I love. Let's go ahead in the meantime while we we're waiting for that and talk a little bit about some more evidence of the nihilism of the leftists. And I have three different stories today that illustrate this. Again, what is a, ne- a nihilist? A nihilist is somebody who's out to destroy values that even though they talk the talk as if they're trying to achieve some end that is supposedly worthwhile, in fact, all they're doing is trying to destroy values. And this is what we've identified and pegged on uh, Obama. And sometimes, you know what, Deborah pointed out earlier, you know, that I wasn't really consistent in this, that does Obama really care whether he's destroying? I mean, in fact, he's he's aiming at it, whether he's aiming at it only subconsciously all the time or consciously. What do you get to the point where if he does everything opposite for the next you know term everything will be good i mean if he does everything opposite than what he's been doing i think things will start turning around but, you know. actually speaking of the nihilist though yeah. i i saw a slip this morning by this uh congressman van hollen okay okay they what what uh the the host basically because there was a republican congressman and then there was van hollen and the republican was very good was by the good. way he he, he, very, he was he was excellent he's one of the tea party guys also yeah, uh, Jordan, something Jordan. These these tea, and he's from Ohio. Yeah, uh, Republican from Ohio. These Tea Party guys are very good. But anyway, the two guys were just disagreeing. You couldn't 
I mean, they, hmm. they couldn't even talk to each other. I remember at the end that the Republican guy didn't even look at the Democrat right. guy to be friendly at the end. He thanked only the host. He wasn't friendly to the other guy, which was good, yeah. I thought. But uh, the host was trying to say, well, don't we at least have one bit of common ground here? And that's that we need to be serious right. about cutting spending. Right. And knee-jerk immediately, Van Hollen started to say no. And then he says, oh, yes, of course, but I want a comprehensive approach. That was so revealing. That was so revealing. So I've decided there's actually a value in watching these Sunday morning news shows a little bit just to get a little little window on how evil and corrupt these guys. That knee-jerk, when somebody says, don't you want to make serious cuts in spending, his first thing is to to actually say no. Yes, exactly right. So so No, no, good good catch. Yeah, so so there's that. so let me let me talk to you about these three stories that illustrate the nihilism of the left. The first, oh, you know what? I think I've got Deborah here. So let's go ahead and do that before we get into these stories. Deborah, is that you? Hi, Amy. Yeah, it's me. Great. So go ahead and tell us about what Mark Stein said. Oh, he, he just wrote a really wonderful, you know, totally Stein-style sarcasm, uh, an article called The Fiscal Cliff Mirage in National Review. And uh, and he was talking about how Charles, Charles Krauthammer was lauding certain members of the GOP for the tough decision that they made to vote for this uh, ridiculous um, fiscal cliff, quote-unquote, solution. And he says, if courage and willingness to take a stand and vote for a bad deal because you've been painted into a corner and want Obama to fly back to Hawaii at the cost of another $3 million in public funds that could have gone to algae subsidies so he'll stop tormenting you for a week or two, then truly we're being led by giants. That's really amazing. That's really good, Deborah. Um, I, I, you know, it's just pointing out how small... Yeah. These GOP Absolutely. members are. Absolutely. I think uh, Bosch has a few ideas for some cartoons oh, that yeah. are going to come up pretty quick. Now I muted Deborah. I got to get her back on. We're trying to have good sound. Are you there, Deborah? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I, I, everything went silent for a second there, but uh, yeah, I'm here. Okay. So th- no, thanks for pointing that out. And then you said the name of this article is what? Um, it's called the Fiscal Cliff Mirage. I'll put it up in the chat room. I'm yeah. copying the link just now. It's it's really worth reading. It's got a lot of good uh, singers like that, and I feel a little bit vindicated sometimes when I read an article like that. You know, I mean, it doesn't uh, doesn't fix anything, but it at least um, kind of makes me feel like vindicated. I think a lot of these people are cathartic, and it's especially good to see somebody who is popular, who has big audience, yeah. like Stein does. Yeah saying things that we would like to have him say, if only he would go further sometimes, yeah. right, and talk about right. the the actual issues at the foundation of this, the altruism and the collectivism and all that. You know, uh, Mark Levin gets pretty close to that sometimes. You know, he's, he speaks about the, the the spending as immoral uh, more and more. And it's just it's good to hear because it's an acknowledgement of reality. It's very good. I agree. I really do. I've been listening. I stopped listening to Mark Levin for a while because he was supporting Rick Santorum, and I was so disgusted with him for it. But, um, but yeah, he's been saying a lot of good things lately. I agree. 
to say a lot that's good, and like I said, sometimes I think he gets a bit too apocalyptic, and I'm not. Mark Stein, sh- oh, Mark yeah. Stein, you're talking about Mark Levin yeah, now. Exactly. I'm sorry. Uh-huh. And then I just looked in the chat room, and I saw that Deborah miraculously cool. put the link in Thanks. while she was also talking online, which is awesome. So she gets uh, kudos for that. Robert says he doesn't have stomach for these morning shows. Uh-huh. I, I like this particular Fox show, and. Um, you know, I, I think that parts of it are hard to take. Why? Because they have people like um, right what, Van Hollen. Well, Van Hollen, but no, I don't. Oh. I don't mind. I don't mind seeing oh, Van Hollen. Oh, you know what? The Fox I don't mind seeing Van All Holland. Stars or whatever. You got that punk. Yes. What's his name? The uh, from the Weekly Standard. The Weekly Standard. Uh, Crystal. Crystal. He's disgusting. He's a rat. And and when he was talking about this physical cliff thing, he's, he you know he was smiling because he was all for it. He was all for it. Remember that? Yeah. He was smiling about it. I mean, he's just pathetic. So you got these alleged right-wingers with these hardcore leftists like uh, Juan Williams. Uh, well, I, now Joe in the chat room says he can't watch any of the shows because they don't get to the fundamentals. True, but I do like the we, fact that many of these people are sh- are very sharp. Some of them do get close to fundamentals. But, but they can't, though. They're politicians. I mean, honestly, they're politicians in that sense. They are. So yeah. that's not their job. Really. I mean, they're they're not thinkers. But but also the talk show know. hosts sometimes don't as okay, well. Yeah, yeah. But but the other thing that I like is that some of them have done a lot of research and they really know their stuff. So Stein. Oh yeah. Can trot out facts and figures. I mean, he, like anybody. He did it the old day when he was filling for Rush. It was unbelievable. I mean, he couldn't have had it at the, at his fingertips. He was saying something. It was just, it was like wow. I mean, this guy really knows his stuff. It's impressive. Right, right. Um, No, and so I like that, and I like, for instance, getting a Brit Hume who's been around for years and years and years and knows the working of the political system and hearing perspective from someone like him. He's not the most polished speaker, uh, nor am I, but um, he's good. He makes some good points. Yeah, so I'm I'm enjoying getting myself a little more informed. So let's go ahead and talk about some of these stories, like I said, that illustrate the nihilism of Obama and the leftists. The first is gotten off of Yahoo News, but I guess they took it from a place called TakePart.com. It was published on Thursday, January 3rd. And the headline is, whoops, cash for clunkers actually hurt the environment. And everybody, I think, is familiar here with the cash for clunkers program. It was the 2009 program that was supposed to be a boon for the environment. And what it was supposed to do is, and I'm now reading from the article, during a limited time consumers could trade in an old gas-guzzling used car for up to $4,500 cash back towards the purchase of a fuel-efficient new car. So it seemed like a win for everyone, haha, says this article. Uh, The environment, the gasping auto industry, and cash-strapped consumers, end quote. Let me just interrupt here. It's not a win for everyone because where is the money coming from? It's being stolen from some people to give to other people. Of course, this is redistribution in, you know, in a certain direction that they think is good. So then the article, I'm continuing now with the article. It says, though almost a million people poured into car dealerships eager to exchange their old jalopies for something shiny and new, recent reports indicate the entire program may have actually hurt the environment far more than it helped. Ha ha, big surprise, right? So uh, E-Magazine says that the Clunkers program, which is officially known as the Car Allowance Rebates System, CARS, produced tons of unnecessary waste while doing little to curb greenhouse gas emissions. Now, why is this? It's because the program itself focused on car shredding 
instead of recycling the cars for parts. So there were 690,000 vehicles traded in, and they all had to be shredded. And the shredding, if you skip down in the article, creates what they call shredding residue. This includes polyurethane foams, metal oxides, glass, and dirt. And where does this all end up? It ends up in our landfills. Moreover, there were bad economic effects, and I remember hearing about this at the time. It created a dearth, I'm, again, I'm quoting from the article, skipping down, created a dearth of used cars, which artificially drove up prices for used cars. Uh, it meant that people who wanted to find affordable transportation could not. And it also meant that used car dealers, many of them are just independently owned small businesses. They don't have any stock, no inventory. Right. 690,000 taken off the market. It says in Virginia alone, right? Uh, Virginia alone, uh, someone who's uh, Mike Smith of Ralph Smith Motors in Virginia is, is uh, speaking here. He says 122, 122 Virginia dealers chose not to renew their dealership licenses after the Cash for Clunkers program was done. The article then goes on with a bunch of environmental hooey saying, you know, just go buy the most fuel-efficient car you can drive. I think one other thing that they said in there is that a lot of people traded in cars that were in perfectly good condition and didn't have that bad of gas mileage anyway. So it was just a whole bunch of phony so garbage. environmentalists are going to go after the clunker-in-chief, right? They're going to go after him now because he hurt the economy. Right. The um, environments. And Robert also writes the clunker president. That's funny. If you want the link to this article, you can find it on my personal page on Facebook, Amy Peekoff. Last name is spelled P as in Peter, E-I-K-O-F-F. I linked to that article this week and discussed it a little bit there. So feel free to, to follow me there. You can subscribe on Facebook, and I have publicly available posts. Uh, why is this nihilism? It's nihilism not only because it is redistributing wealth. It's taking by force money from some people, giving it to other people in order to achieve some right. utopian goal of the administration, namely they think they're going to save the environment. But here they didn't even achieve the stated right. end that they thought was going to be desirable in this case. The program never achieved that end. Uh, moreover, you would think that if anybody thought long and hard enough about it before he voted on this piece of garbage legislation, no. they would have known that if they had focused on shredding right. As And, you know, why is it that they so-called shredded these cars? They did it because they knew that the dealers, if they didn't have any restraints on what they could do with the cars, they would just turn the cars around and sell them again. And the government wanted to get these so-called gas guzzlers off right. the road but entirely. It, it didn't achieve the purported purpose, but then you realize that since it's a failure, that's exactly what it what he intended it to be. Exactly. I mean, this is, exactly. honestly, I mean, because that's again the thing. and again. I mean, you think if they gave two minutes of thought, right. but they would have known that it wouldn't achieve that end. It just tells you. I mean, he's by default, by purpose, whatever. He's nihilist and everything means the end of, I mean, it's just it's total destruction. The Obama and the leftists who really push these agenda yeah. items, they are acting as if they are consciously produce, yeah. you know, pursuing value destruction. Yeah. There is no distinction between the actions that somebody who is really just going out to smash and destroy <laughs> would do and the stuff that they're doing. And that, that shows you. So that was story number one. How's your sense of life hanging on right now? What is that? I forget what it was. Because I have another one. Yeah. And this one, I think, is even more depressing unfortunately, because it has to do oh, yeah. not with the physical Ugh. 
environment. It's the brain destroying. It's the brain destroying measure. I'm reading now from a Fox News article that was published on December 27th. The author is Lindsay Burke, and the headline is Why All the Cool Kids Are Reading Executive Order 13423. It almost sounds like a quality 72521, right? But all the all the cool kids are reading Executive Order 13423. For people who don't know Equality 72521, that was a reference from Ayn Rand's little novelette Anthem, which, by the way, is if you haven't read any Ayn Rand at all and you happen to be just tuning into this program, that's a two-hour read, yep. and it's a really uh, neat little novelette that I highly recommend. So that's Anthem. But this Executive Order 13423 sounds like the... Same sort of thing you would read about in Anthem. What this article is about, it, it's about the strings that are attached to federal money, money that the Obama administration is giving to schools in as part of you know whatever their latest initiative is Government race schools. race to the top yeah. you know they have all these stupid euphemisms oh, no child left behind yeah. race yeah. to the top blah 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 so. They have these race-to-the-top grants, and they are attaching strings to it. And the strings that they're attaching to it are really, really disgusting and distressing. What it is is that English teachers are told that in order to get this federal money, this race-to-the-top money, 50% of their course material has to be derived from so-called informational texts. Now, that's an average because what happens is at kindergarten level – a mere 25% of the reading oh material gosh. has to be informational. Can you imagine giving oh in a, you know and you know what they mean by informational? They mean a work of so-called nonfiction. Now, I put so-called why because I'm right. sure that something that would be approved under this would be an entire rewriting of history, right. a whitewashing of Islam or, you know, some garbage, yeah. right? So I'm sure that that would be an informational text too. But can you imagine giving kindergartners who are just learning to read some work of nonfiction that's probably boring compared to any of the nice fictional works that could be great stories for mm-hmm. them to absorb. No, it's it's, it's a mind killing yeah. program. I mean, yeah. that's what it is. So it's twenty five percent for kindergartners. By the time they go to high school, it rises to seventy percent. It's just unreal. Seventy percent of what English teachers assign. Now, when I took uh, an English class. I took an AP English class, and my English teacher in high, in at the school. yeah in high school in high school and my high school English teacher actually assigned me the Fountainhead, which was wonderful. I think he probably helped save my life, right? Um, one thing that he did is yes, he assigned some works, but then he gave you the option of choosing certain books that you would have for your reading assignments, and you would write up papers on them or who knows what. I think that was a mistake. I think that English teachers who know way better than you what the great classics of world literature are, they should assign you to read these things. But instead, here's a sampling. I'm I'm going back to the the Fox News article again. Again, this is why all the cool kids are reading Executive Order 13423 on Fox News. Uh, this is, you know, what a sampling of what informational texts are. It says among those that are recommended on the national standards list, there's a national standards list. So this means lazy teachers are just going to choose stuff off the national standards list, and they're not going to think for themselves even to figure out which of the so-called informational texts. Because, I mean, 
biographies, good biographies of heroic oh, yeah. individuals in history could be informational text, yeah, I would assume. Right, right, right. But no, if you're a lazy public school teacher, you'll just go to the National Standards List and you'll pick such gems as the Federal Reserve Bank's Fed Views, the evolution of the grocery bag, I bet that's environmentalist, right? Uh, healthcare costs in oh. McAllen, Texas, and then rollover because for whom the bell tolls is not going to, you know, be taught. Instead, you're going to have the GSA classic. Yes, it's Executive Order one three four two three colon, and this is the subtitle of Executive Order one three four two three. It is strengthening federal environmental energy and transportation management. I mean, they're trying to create literally government junkies. Government always on their mind. People who go into government. People who live off government. This is what they're. This is the goal here. But I, I think it's more than that, right? I think what they are trying to do is they're trying to crush two things. They're the, trying to crush two those, things. Those have potential. Those have, you know. Well, and one of the things is mentioned in the article because what you're trying to do with these kids is you're trying to instill in them a lifelong love of reading. Right. There is no, no way better to destroy right. any affection that they have for reading at this age <laughs> than to give them Executive Order 13423, Strengthening Federal Environmental Energy and Transportation Management. Blah! I would fall asleep. You know, I would fall asleep. Can I just say, if there was one book that this group would never allow uh, high school students to read, if they could, it, it would be The Fountainhead. I mean, it would be. Yes. It taps into their individuality. No, fa- the Fountainhead is... Perfect you know, for the high school junior it senior is perfect. age. Perfect. Perfect. And I mean, because it, it's a great work of fiction, first of all, but then also the ethics of it are oh, so man. inspiring at that at that age as well. So it is necessary. Um, I mean, it's inspiring a... at any age, but I mean, if if they say, well, we're you know now we're not going to assign the Fountainhead anymore because this is, I mean, you know, the Iron Institute has had for right. decades now this wonderful That's essay contest program where they give incentives for kids to write essays on the fountainhead and many high school teachers have done what my high school teacher did which is assign the fountainhead assign them to do this essay as one of the assignments for the class and with this 70 percent who knows if as many of them are going to do it because it's not like all of these teachers are objectivists certainly my high school teacher was not an objectivist at all He, he, he told me many years later you know that when i asked him he's not it's just that he thought that it was a worthwhile book and that it was a good opportunity to get a little bit of a scholarship for college. So, you know, if there's some sort of, you know, on-the-fence instructors right. who are trying to decide what to do, they're going to err on the side of not assigning great works. Yep. Um, so, you know, so much for all these. So that was the one thing. The one thing is it's yeah. going to kill any love of reading because right. they're going to have reading as a horrible duty if they're reading all this stuff. Healthcare costs in McAllen, Texas. I mean, come on. I mean, uh, it, I mean that's just mind-numbingly concrete. So instead, the other thing, and actually not in, it's instead, I meant to say in addition, the other thing that I think they're doing is they are killing any hope for the sense of life of Americans to be reborn in this younger generation. Now, why is that? Because these informational texts are going to be factual. And moreover, if you look at this national standards list, it looks like it's current factual stuff. So it's not even the biography of the heroic person of the past, right? 
there is nothing probably in this list, this national standards list, that is going to embody the uniquely American sense of right. life. That means 70% of what they read is probably going to be anti, beating that down, beating it out of them. You know, where else in, you know, and, and they're not, you know, they're going to look out the world, look out right. the real world, the news. Is that going to give them a, right. a positive American sense of life? No. Right. Where could they get it? They could get it in works of fiction. Yep. All the fiction. great classical literature. It's just unbelievable. So this is like a target. I mean, they're they're targeting the minds of these kids yeah. to wipe them out. Yeah. So they're they're targeting their minds and their spirits. Yeah. Simultaneously. Both, exactly. Because that's the only way that you can live in a world where things are as they might be and ought to be, is in works of fiction, especially today. I mean, people always say, and I believe it, obviously I wasn't around to see it, they said that you cannot imagine the sense of life that existed right. at the turn of the century, from exactly. the 19th to the 20th right. century, the very early 1900s, right. how positive and wonderful America Hope. was at that time, that we can't even the sky was imagine the future. How can you potentially live in that right. kind of environment fiction I mean. through, through fiction and that's it and and now they're saying you can't even do that so the the so-called public schools which are really government schools yeah. government involvement in education really needs to go in the chat room zach hey teacher leave those kids alone hmm. exactly exactly and and, and 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 yeah exactly i like it um and and moreover it's not, hey, teacher, leave those kids alone. Hey, government, leave those teachers <laughs> That's alone. That's right. And stop propping up also teachers for the lowest common denominator. I think a lot of the teachers will just pick up that national standards list and not even think any further. So literature really is, is really the only place I think today where you can see point. both man and society as it might be and ought to be. So Very I good. think that they're killing not only the love of reading, but they're trying to kill the American sense of life with it. So that's pretty depressing, right? Let me give you one more. This is not our own president or lawmakers. This is actually something that has been uh, promulgated by Vladimir Putin, Russia's so-called president. I'm reading an article now. It's from The Economist, and it's called... He's not, he's not as far left as Obama, though, right? I mean, he's not as far left. Anymore. Yeah. Uh, didn't he criticize yeah. something about Obama being more <laughs> left did. than him on something? I don't know. But uh, it, this this is called Herod's Law, and the, the subtitle of the article is Russian Civil Society is Outraged by a law that bans Russian orphans from being adopted by American families. Yeah. It's uh, published on the Economist website January 5th, 2013, from the print edition of Moscow. And uh, it starts out saying that when you know Putin was ringing in the new year, he appealed to his compatriots with a traditional New Year's greeting, urging them to be more charitable, sensitive, and caring for those in need. However, hypocritically, of course, not surprisingly, days before, only three days earlier, in a mockery of the virtues he preached, said the article, he signed a law that bans Russian orphans from being adopted by American families, which means, says this article, that he deprived some of his most vulnerable citizens of their chance for a better 
life. Uh, the ban, the article, this Economist article says, is part of the Kremlin's response to America's Magnitsky Act, which was passed by Congress in 2012. I hadn't heard of it. No. But what it does is it blacklists Russian officials who were involved in the death of Sergei Magnitsky, who was a Russian lawyer, and more broadly, it blacklists all these people who were accused of human rights abuses in and Russia. His response? Then it says Magnitsky, who worked for... Uh, Hermitage Capital Management, which is a London-based investment fund, died in pretrial detention three years ago after exposing a $230 million tax fraud by Russian police and tax officials. So his death is a symbol of corruption and impunity. So what does Congress do? Congress blacklists the people who are responsible for his death and abusing other people's human rights. And in retaliation against our U.S. Congress, Putin decides... They're going to go ahead and sign into law something that deprives Americans of the ability to adopt these orphans. Uh, they said America has been meddling in Russia's domestic affairs when we blacklist their rights-abusing people. Um, now, other parts of the new law also allow the Kremlin to ban any so-called politically engaged non-governmental organization that receives funds from America. But really, of course, the worst part is this orphan amendment. Literally no more. And um, on Red Eye earlier this week, they covered this story. And they were saying that there were many people who had, you know, they were basically in the process of adopting orphans from Russia. They had sunk a ton of time, tens of thousands of dollars, into this process, and then suddenly Putin signs this law, and all of that, the investment that they had put into the process of adopting one of these orphans, goes to waste. So it's you know hurting a lot of Americans as well, but the people who are really hurt the most are the children. Uh, over the past 20 years, this article, this Economist article says, American families have adopted 60,000 Russian children. And Americans also have the highest rate of adopting children with disabilities, mm. which are usually not attractive orphans for people to adopt. So here's all these Americans just wanting to adopt these children who need homes. And Putin says, we'll just punish you for yeah. meddling in our domestic affairs yeah. by saying that you can't. Yeah, I, will, I will punish Russians. So everyone in the chat room agrees here that this is uh, horrible. Um, now there's a little store, a story, excuse me, a story that's being told here in the chat room by Mikhail Yakov, and he says he's got the perfect example of altruism being instilled in children. He says a family came uh, came into his work. He works at the Apple Store. Lucky for him. He says the dad was buying his son and daughter iPad minis, but right after the sale, the daughter refused to take hers because she didn't want to be selfish as her brother. It was so sad. Whoa. Wow. Wow. You can't even take a gift from your parents because you want, don't want to be selfish. This is, this is terrible. So here is Putin. You know, again, the economist pointed out at the beginning, he says that he's for charity, for being sensitive, for caring yeah. for those in need, the typical leftist drivel. And just days before, he took some of the most vulnerable people, the most people, you know, the people most in need in his society and said, your hope 
for any exit out of your misery is gone. Yep. Uh, I saw an article, I think it was Guardian UK or something, of, of a, one of these. Maybe he's protecting those kids from Obama's America, right? That's his you know, benevolence, right? He's protecting them from Obama's America? Anyway. Yeah, yeah, because Obama's America is so horrible. That's what it is. That's what he thinks he's wow. doing. <sighs> no, I'm okay. afraid not. So. So this this is all bad news stuff. Uh, I want I do want to end the show though on a better note, and so I do want to turn to three good things. Uh, you know, again, one of the habits that was discussed by Alex Epstein as a habit that you could instill in yourself that could gra- uh, greatly increase your productivity is a habit of naming three things per day uh, for which you are grateful and. I would say maybe one thing that we should do with this show is try to name three positive things that were, at least in the news, something that you can take heart in. And one of them is the existence of the movie Les Miserables. Uh, How many people have seen it in the chat room? Anybody disagree that Les Miserables is something that you need to see right away and that it was very life-affirming to see this movie, to watch all two hours and 38 minutes of it. I, I I thought it was excellent. I would say that there was only one scene in the movie, and I'm not going to even talk about spoilers here, that I thought was a little bit too long. But uh, other than that, yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I just I loved it. I saw it on New Year's Eve. And that was, I think, worth doing over any fancy party or anything else because it was just so nice to see such a high-quality rendition, a romantic rendition of And the singing, I mean, it was just, to me, it was was weird seeing the singing because I'm not into musicals per se, but uh, it was well done. It really didn't bother me. No, I mean, what's the name was, I mean, they were were all good in their own way. People criticized Russell Crowe. I think think he did fine. I think he just has a deeper voice. It's just, it is what it is. It's not as, you know... Now, Robert offered to call in, but Robert, if you want to go ahead and type up a comment or two about Les Mis, go right ahead. Another thing that I would highly recommend, oh, now Zach says, I haven't seen that I hate musicals. I normally don't like musicals either. either. I, I would say that there's one scene in this where you are reminded that it's a musical only because I think the scene is a little bit too long. It doesn't deserve yeah. the attention that it got, but yeah. other than that, no. it did not bother me at no, all that this was a musical. You know, from the opening, the epic, just the the the, the scope of the of the direction, and this one, the opening shot was just, I don't know, just until you're entering a whole different world. And Anne Hathaway's singing oh, is uh, is wonderful. She's she excellent. She was great. So I, I highly recommend it. Another thing that I recommend that we watched and we basically exhausted the entire two mm-hmm. seasons worth of the right. series right away, which is Sherlock. Yeah. Sherlock is the BBC series that tries to bring up to date, uh, you know, the Sherlock Holmes, the Arthur Conan Doyle series, and it is excellent. So it's available on Netflix streaming, which is how I saw it. Sherlock, definitely you should see it. And the good, good news, uh, Rob Abiera actually clued me into this, uh, I think in the last day or two he gave us a link, that... Sherlock's season three is starting to film now, so yeah. they are going to have another season. Very cool. Definitely worthwhile. Yeah, it's now, great. Now, uh, there's another season called, El- I mean, excuse me, another season, another series, an American series called Elementary that is supposed to be, you know, again, a dramatization or, or, you know, a screen version, a television I screen understand. version of uh, 
yeah, yeah. Of, of Conan Doyle's Watson novels. Is, but no. is, is a female also. I don't know if they have a romantic, you know. But uh, just also, I saw The Hobbit uh, yesterday, and uh, I mean, just it's it's thoroughly enjoyable. It's well done, acted and everything, but the visually, it's stunning. I mean, it's unbelievable what Peter Jackson, the way he makes this world seems believe you know seem believable. Whatever goes on, the the creatures and the, and the action at the end, they're just incredible. I mean, I, now, Robert, New York City, in the chat room says that he saw the musical in London before also many times in New York, and he loved it. He says they essentialized the story, and he says Notre Dame in the background was gorgeous. Yeah, visually it was, yeah. It was stunning. Yeah, Les Mis, I would like to actually see the musical in the theater now, yeah. only because I enjoyed it as the movie. Right. I don't know that I see myself as a musical person either. No. But And, you know, of course, a, a musical in a theater is a bigger price ticket than yeah. a musical in a movie theater. So well, no doubt. I, I, think, I think I would do that next time I'd... Visit probably. New York, I might if, go in there. I assume it's still up. I mean, probably it's a, it's a staple. I mean, I, w- I would assume year after year after year. I would assume that it's still playing. Uh, so Sherlock, highly recommended. Oh, yeah. Again, I don't want to give any spoilers about Sherlock, but there is one episode that we thought was particularly mm. well written. Two. Two, you think? Two. Okay. The the uh, the the first. Oh oh yeah, oh. The first so, episode so, of season two and the and, and the, the last, last episode. episode of season and, two. It's yeah. only three episodes a season, which is weird, but it's they pack everything into them. It's so well written, so well acted, so well done. But yeah, so that that but that first episode, I, it might even it might even be superior to that to that to that season finale. It was so good. It, it was yeah, it was so super, good. super well done. And I was glad to find when I posted about Sherlock on the Don't Let It Go Unheard page on Facebook that there were a number of fans already out there and that I was just really <laughs> behind. Right. That Definitely. I was that uh, that I was the one who was snoozing uh uh-huh. here. I need I need to get up on, on the good television that's out there, what little there is, and just drink it in. And then the third thing that I did want to talk about was Ted Cruz. Yeah who, for a politician yep. this morning, sounded surprisingly good. And I actually did go to the Fox News Sunday website, and they have at the top a video clip of Ted Cruz. I don't know if it, it was a clip of his entire interview, but John Roberts kind of ran him through the paces on a right. number of issues, and I really liked everything also, he had to he say. Also, he to repeal Obamacare, every letter of it, regardless if Obama you know, won't do it, but he just... He's doing his job, basically. He's out there to do his job, despite whatever the, the other guys will do. And that's important. We need guys like that. Right. We need guys to fight. And I, he looks like a fighter. Yeah, I, I definitely liked him. So it makes you kind of think that there's a little bit of hope. Even for... though he's a politician, so that's one thing I'm always like, okay, he might sell out some way, somehow. I don't know. Well, and he was asked that explicitly, too. Yeah, so, again, I don't was. know if that was part of the news clip. But he believes he's not going to sell out. Why? Because he thinks that he was brought in by grassroots and that they're still with also, him. Also, that question... Politicians are never asked that question. I think there's something about him, maybe that they were forced to ask that. You know what I mean? That's pretty telling as well. That he might be actually a might be a different politician. That's all. He might. Hopefully. Yeah, he might be a different brand of politician. Uh, also, the guy from Ohio they had on this morning yeah. I thought was the Republican. No, he was, was good. Was pretty good as well. Jim Jordan, I, I think. So we are at the end of the first hour show of the year. <laughs> okay. uh, I, I thought it was the first hour because we got another hour coming No, up. no, we don't have another hour. We might expand. we got to do another Indiegogo and yeah. see if we're going to end up expanding this year. But thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Thank you for partic- participating in the chat room. Thanks, for uh, Deborah, for calling in. 
And if you enjoy the show, you can connect with us during the week. Actually, the first thing you can do is you can click follow. Right here on Blog Talk Radio, if you click follow, you'll become a follower of the show on Blog Talk Radio. You'll get updates each week when the show's going to come on, and you can check out the topics. The other thing you can do is go to the Don't Let It Go Unheard page on Facebook. You can follow me, Amy Peekoff, either on Facebook or on Twitter. And finally, most important, if you enjoy the show, do please tell your friends because it is spread entirely by word of mouth right now, and my mouth is only so big. Thank you. Have a good evening, and we'll talk to you guys next week.